and welcome back to Lead, Travel, Pray. My name's Rebecca Ellis, and today we're kicking off a two-part series on traveling to Japan. I'm joined by Michelle Strike and Sandy Schneider, who recently had the opportunity to travel to Japan, and will be sharing her travel experience with us. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. So good to see you both again. Yeah, you too. So, Sandy... I know you had a fabulous trip to Japan, and I love to follow it, but Michelle and I actually have not heard much about it yet. So we're, we've been saving up this great storytelling to do it here live uh, to record for our listeners. So tell me, was Japan always on your travel bucket list, or what made you think to go there? No, it was not. And you guys know that I always have a list of where I might be traveling to next. And Japan has never been on that list. And I don't know that it was because I purposefully left it off. I think it just wasn't truly on my radar. Um, And it it popped onto my radar when uh, a group of friends um, brought it to my attention. They were planning a trip to Japan and um, invited me to go. And it seemed like a really great opportunity um, because I had never been and I was going with a group of friends. And one of those friends um, is Japanese. She's been in the United States for many years, but Mm. is Japanese and very familiar with the country, speaks Japanese. Um, And it has always been my opinion that there's no better way to travel, um, particularly to a foreign country, than with someone who knows that country well. So it just seemed like the perfect opportunity Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you were able to go and bring it to us because I've never been to Asia at all. So I'm looking forward to hearing kind of what you liked and what you would recommend since it's um, uncharted territory for me. Yeah, totally. So what kind of places did you visit? You know, we were all over. Um, We were in really big cities like um, Tokyo and Osaka. We were in cities that had historical significance, the former capitals of Japan, um, Kyoto and Nara. Um, Other significant historical events in places like Hiroshima, um, spiritual locations. We were up on a mountain um, with Buddhist temples everywhere in Koyasan. Um, And then we were in some like beachy vacation places as well in Beppu and Kagoshima. So really all over the country, which is one of the benefits when you've got the time. And we were gone for about three weeks, which allowed us the opportunity to see a whole lot. So how did you end up getting around so many places then? Good question. Um, So in Japan, there is a phenomenal train system. They have what they refer to as bullet trains, which are high-speed trains that can travel, gosh, like 180 miles per hour, something like that, which allows you to get from point A, say you're starting, you fly into Tokyo or something, and you want to go down to Hiroshima. Um, You might be able to do that in a matter of a few hours where driving, would have taken twice as long um so that we utilized the train system which was amazing i mean not only does it go ridiculously fast it is such a smooth ride um and what i was really surprised about 
um, was that the train, it's not a new train system. Um, so other friends of mine who were there in the seventies rode the same bullet trains or at least the oh, same wow. system. Wow. Um, so it's been in place a really long time. It's super efficient. It's very fast. And, um, as most things in Japan, ridiculously orderly, I <laughs> loved it when they had a train schedule and said the train is leaving at seven Oh three. It is leaving at seven Oh three. And there's no crazy madness. Like there's no one running to the train saying, wait for me. Everybody knows that it's on time all the time. And so people are there. Hmm. That is awesome. So I was just reminded today that the um, Summer Olympics are in Tokyo next uh, Mm -hmm. year, actually the 2020, which is going to be really cool to watch. Um, So I imagine there'll be people traveling to Tokyo for that. Um, and likely not taking a three-week vacation because that's not so typical, at least for us Americans anyway. So how would you narrow down the list of places to visit while you're in that area? Yeah, that's a really good question. So not everybody's going to have a three-week vacation. Um, And the reality is, particularly if you're interested in the Olympics, you could spend your entire vacation in Mm -hmm. Tokyo. It is a large, major city with lots of things to do, things that are culturally significant, historically significant, and there's a lot of very up-to-date modern entertainment venues. So you could spend your whole time in Tokyo. but it really, I mean, as, as you're planning any trip, it depends upon what you want to see. Um, and whatever it is that you want to experience will probably drive you to particular locations in the country. I have to say that <clears throat> what I noticed about Americans, um, at least in my experience traveling, um, a lot of Americans were taking the cruises So we started our trip with a five-day princess cruise, um, which allowed us to see um, two stops, Kagoshima and Beppu in Japan, and then to visit Busan in South Korea. And those were sort of warmer weather, uh, visitor-centric vacation sort of locations to visit. We were on a five-day cruise, but we met a number of Americans who were doing back-to-back, a five-day and then a seven-day. So they were experiencing, Mm -hmm. ultimately, 12 days in Japan. And of course, as we've talked about before, the benefit of cruise is you unpack once, Mm -hmm. and they're taking care of the transportation to everywhere Mm -hmm. that you want to go, and there's some organized tours, which can make it um, more comfortable for some people to travel, particularly to a foreign country. Um, But for others, right, that sounds terrible. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want the structure maybe of a cruise. Um, I felt like Japan was super easy to get around in. um, That if you knew that you wanted to go to Tokyo and then venture out to two other cities um, and certainly took the time to research it, I feel like you could easily figure out the train system and get to where you want to go and do the things you want to do. Awesome. I think that um, in any major city like that, especially in a foreign country, trying to drive myself um, freaks me out. Like when I went to Rome and they have, they call them roundabouts, but it's not a roundabout. It's just a huge open section of road and everybody just drives however they want to drive. (laughs) I was so freaked out and it made New York look very orderly. 
And so I can imagine like trying to drive within Tokyo or figuring out mm-hmm. how to get to some of those other places would have been a little more challenging yeah. than the train. Yeah, totally. I mean, we never even considered attempting to drive there. We certainly did take um, cabs at various mm-hmm. times to get from maybe a train station to the hotel or something like that. Um But, you know, when you're in a country where you don't know the language and um, you don't even have an attempt to read the language, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't recognize the characters of the language. Mm -hmm. um, It would be really intimidating for me to try and figure out how to drive, Mm -hmm. which is why I think I was so... Um, so infatuated with the train system because it was easy to use and not knowing the language, I was still able to figure it out and get from point A to point B. Um, I should say Google Maps was often a lifesaver. So that function on Google Maps that I got to be honest with you, I don't really use in the United States, which where you, you know, you, you want directions from point A to point B and you can click drive or walk. There's also a public transportation mm-hmm. bucket or mm-hmm. button, um, and w- we used that regularly, and it, it was spot on. I mean, it told mm-hmm. us which stop we needed to get on, which stop we need to get off, what train we need to transfer to, how long it was going to take. I mean, it it really led to, the com- I think, the comfort level mm-hmm. that I had in really exploring a place I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So what did you enjoy the most about your Japan experience? Uh, the most commonly asked question for which I really struggle in answering because, I mean, everything that we did was really super cool. Um, I wrote a blog post. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it. Mm-hmm. Um after I got back and it was really on the sense of adventure and I think that that's what I enjoyed most about the trip was I felt like every day was an adventure every day you'd wake up in the morning with an idea of what you were going to do that day but you didn't really know how it was going to work or what it was going to be like or what this cultural performance was really going to be that you have a ticket for or how you were going to get there or how you were going to order breakfast because you didn't know you know it's not like you just pop into a mcdonald's and order a number one they do have mcdonald's by the way and we did not ever eat there um But everything was an adventure, how you're getting from point A to point B, and um, that is what I loved. I loved learning as I went. I was with a group of friends, and we traveled really well together. There were times we joked that it felt like an escape room where you had to work together. (laughs) Like, we're in a train station. None of us know where we are or where we're going exactly, and we're all trying to read signs and find some English that we recognize, and it took the group of, you know, four of us working together to get there, but we always got there, and usually, usually with some laughs along the way, which just made it a really fun adventure. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So was there anything that you would say you enjoyed the least or were like, yeah, I don't know that I'd do that again? Mm, Good question. Um, Everything, I mean, even things that maybe I didn't personally choose because it was a group of people and we all Mm kind of picked what we wanted to do. So there may be something that um, wouldn't have been number one on my list. There was always something I got from the experience, something I learned, even if it wasn't the main focal point, there was something that I went, huh, 
that's interesting. So I don't know if there was anything um, that I did that I would say, oh, I wouldn't do that again. Um, but there were um, some food things. Um, so I, I would have said to anybody that uh, I like sushi and I'm comfortable eating sushi and um, not concerned about it at all. And what I learned is that what the sushi we have in the United States is not necessarily authentic sushi that the Japanese might be eating. And so while I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm good with sushi, then you're like faced with, um, so the, the funny one was where I ended up ordering, you know, and you're not always sure what you're ordering. And um, there was some English on the menu and it was a fish, an ayu, which I don't know what ayu fish is, but I like fish. So sure. And it was tempura ayu. And I'm like, okay, tempura, I know what that is. It's some sort of battered and fried fish. How bad can it be? Right. I did not expect to get the whole fish. Mm. And we're not talking whole fish like you might get an entree in the U.S. that's a whole fish and it's the entree, right? Think more like, I don't know, a four-inch fish. Small? Like a sardine? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. I don't eat sardines, so (laughs) I don't know, but kind of. So maybe, maybe three to four, four, let's say four inches long, and it's the whole fish, right? And so they've battered and fried the whole fish, and then they serve it to you. And just like any other, you know, if you get tempura vegetables, you can tell, is this a green pepper or is this something red, right? Like you can kind of see through the batter. So you can see through the batter to see the fish, including its eyeball (laughs) and its Its tail. tail, Right? Yeah. Uh huh. So, you know, I don't want to be a big baby and I'm sure it's fine. And I stare at it for a really long time, but I'm not a big fan of eating things where you can see its uh, eyes. Um, <laughs> and I've, I, I mean, I had that experience in, in Spain with the shrimp heads and the paella and I struggled a bit with that too. Um, but I, I really struggle with this. So the funny thing was my friend Heidi ordered the exact same thing. So we're both get it served to us and we both stare at it, look at each other and laugh. And we were hungry and she is a brave girl. And so she's like, I'm doing this. And she picks it up. Oh, before before we ate it, I was like, how do you even eat this, right? And I was told that you just eat it, right? Because it's got bones in it. It's the whole darn thing. And you just eat the whole darn thing and it's fine. So I asked a lot of questions first. (laughs) Heidi then jumps in and takes a big bite off of it. And I just watch her intently. And she's like, oh, it's not bad. And so I'm like, okay, you can. And everybody's making fun of me as I stare at it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And so I did and took, you know, about half of it, a bite, which happened to be its head. And my sister's like, why did you eat its head? I'm like, so the tail seemed better? I mean, neither one seemed like a great option. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I did. And, you know, I didn't particularly enjoy it. It was very crunchy because, you know, you're eating a whole fish. Bones, and right? uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and it tastes like really fishy fish, which mm-hmm. would not necessarily be my choice. So um, I ha- my takeaway was um, I should not go to Japan and just be very confident in saying I love sushi. Maybe I should back <laughs> off of that a little bit and say I'm you like American sushi. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what options you have here in Japan. And I'm sure I will like some of them and then others I should probably stay away from them. 
Yeah. That was my experience in China. Um, And sometimes things were quite unsettling visually, but tasted pretty good. But I also found that they didn't like me back. And Mm. I'm wondering if you had any of that experience where just the different... I don't know what it is, enzymes or whatever that we're not used to eating kind of uh, backfire in our digestive system. No, thank goodness. Did not have that experience. And to my knowledge, no one in our group had any problems like that. I have heard about that in other um, Asian and Indian countries. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we were very lucky. No problems like that. However, um, we did have a couple members of our group who developed what I would just call the common cold on the trip, which is not uncommon being on an airplane that long mm-hmm. and, you you know, jet lag. And it wasn't uncommon that somebody would get a cold. Now, in right. the Japanese culture, and you may have seen this like in airports because I had seen it, but I didn't really understand it. Um, there's great respect for other people and for other people's health. And so if you are sick, like you have a common cold, you would wear one of those white masks. Yeah, like Mm. a surgical mask um, anywhere you go in public because you don't want to get other people sick. And so that you would see people, I mean, very common all over the place because, of course, Mm -hmm. on a normal day, there's lots of people who have colds that we interact with in public. And you don't know who they are, but there they're wearing these masks. So what we learned in the process is that the expectation would be if you're a visitor, that you would also um, respect the health of the people around you. And so um, we had the masks. You can buy them very easily at the, the corner store or whatever they're readily available they're inexpensive but for Americans this feels weird right mm-hmm. it feels awkward um Surgical. but that was, yeah yeah but that was really interesting and of course when you're in another country you should respect their customs and their values and their practices so of course we did that um, luckily I was not one who who got sick but that was sort of a ah now this makes sense when I'm traveling in the United States and I see someone who's got a mask on and it it sort of strikes us as well what's that all about Mm -hmm. to really think about it like oh they're actually being very respectful of me and that they don't want me or anyone else around Mm -hmm. them to be sick yeah it's interesting what were other unique things you picked up in their culture or habits um, so I, I mentioned already, um, there, the culture is very respectful, respectful of, um, each other, respectful of visitors like us, respectful of the land, respectful of, uh, religious faith, um, just a really respectful culture. Um, and one of the things that happened in Tokyo, which, which was, eye-opening for me to demonstrate that respect, particularly the respect for the land um, and for others. In Tokyo, which is like, right, major city, nine point something million people, huge city. And you're walking down a city street and they um, they give gifts a lot in their culture. And so you somebody might hand you a small uh, chocolate, for example, and it's wrapped in a little plastic package and so you eat the chocolate or the gum or the candy or whatever they gave you and now you've got this plastic wrapper 
And so we had these plastic wrappers and we were looking for a trash can, right? To throw the plastic wrapper in. We can't find a trash can. You walk to the next block, no trash can. You look outside the convenience store, no trash can. You're looking everywhere for trash cans. And then someone tells us that you can look all you want. You're not going to find a trash can here. Mm. And that's because their culture is that your trash is your trash. So you would be expected to take your plastic wrapper, put it in your pocket, put it in your purse, take it home and dispose of it in your own trash, Mm. not in any sort of public way. And so what surprised me was that there were no plastic wrappers on the ground. Mm-hmm. So this respect for um, for the rule, for other people, for the land that that we're going to take care of this trash and take it home. I just thought that was fascinating. In the U.S., we know, right, even with trash cans every so few feet <laughs> as they are in Disney World, um, you still find trash on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did not know that. Um, I, I do know that when I go to some other foreign countries, it does seem a lot cleaner. That I think that here, you know, we try to say along the highway, don't litter, that it's illegal and stuff like that. Like, clearly, it's it's a cultural thing that people think, oh, I can just put this wherever. But in other cultures, it's like all about respect. And mm-hmm. that would seem disrespectful to do that. I like the idea of my trash, so it's mine to dispose of at home. Yeah, responsibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that they, they take that really seriously. And it's not because there's a sign up that says, take care of your own trash. Mm-hmm. It's right. It's part of the culture. And it's just the way that they live. The yeah. other thing about their culture um, that I just loved was the sort of the structure, the process, and general orderliness of everything. Um, there, There's a way to do things in their culture. There's a way to wait for the train and where to stand and how to be respectful of people coming off the train as people are getting on the train. Um, I already mentioned the way that the train schedule is on schedule, always on schedule to the minute. There's no report in the morning that says the trains are running five minutes behind today no because the trains are always going to run on time and if someone misses the train it's not an emotional explosion or you're mad at at the world or the train it's everyone knows they're going to leave on time so it was fascinating to me that there was no pushing or rushing there's no running to the trains it was just very orderly which um, as a person who likes structure and process and organization <laughs> and orderly, orderliness, I mean, it was right up my alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having just taken taken the train system in Germany to Austria, I can tell you it was none of those things. <laughs> lots of running, lots of swearing, lots of <laughs> grumpy people. Uh, and the schedule, not only was it not really on time, time-wise, but also they pick a different track to leave from than they oh, tell wow. you. Or, yeah. It's a good time. Really good time. <laughs> <laughs> I like the orderly part. So, um, Sandy, I'm wondering about the language. I think that that has been a deterrent for me in thinking about um, just going and vacationing in a place like Asia, because to your point, they use characters, they don't use alphanumeric letters. And so I, I couldn't even guess at what the language is. And I would say, like going to 
Austria and Germany, that was a stretch because they have different letters than we have for certain things. So I couldn't begin to um, know how to pronounce anything or, or figure it out. So I'm wondering, just in general, you talked about the train system, you were still able to figure it out, but in just day-to-day things, how did that work? Good question. And that was, I mean, I'm not going to lie, that was a concern of mine because I know zero Japanese and certainly can't recognize a Japanese character. Um, And so one of the things that really helped me with the comfort level was knowing that I was going with my friend Mariko who speaks Japanese. And so I thought, well, thank goodness Mariko will be there. Although Mm -hmm. the first um, six days, Mariko was not there. But that's when we were also with the cruise where they, on the cruise, everything is translated into English and Japanese. Everything, mm-hmm. uh, everything in writing, every announcement they make. So the cruise was a non-issue because mm-hmm. everything was sure. in English. Then once we got off the cruise, you know, and you're you're off the cruise ship, welcome to Japan because now you're on your own. Um, and in the big cities, most signage had an English translation. And this was particularly true in Tokyo because they're getting ready for the Olympics next year and they're going to have a big international crowd there. Mm -hmm. So the subway system, the trains all had an English translation, um, which was very helpful. Um, From a restaurant perspective, a lot of them had pictures or photos where you could point... um, And in times where we had none of the above, (laughs) no English that we can find anywhere, um, most of the time people, the Japanese people knew a little bit of English. Um, And so there might be words, like one word or two words that you could communicate with each other. But there were times where there was nothing, right? They don't speak English. I don't speak Japanese. There's no pictures here. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of sign language mm-hmm. and a lot of smiles. And mm-hmm. um, it's amazing what you can figure out. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't a barrier at all. And mm-hmm. as I think back to the concerns I had going in, um, when I go back to Japan, I'm, I'm very cognizant that I'm at a, a deficit because I don't know the language, but I, I'm much more comfortable knowing, okay, we can figure this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. When I went to Austria, I did use the iTranslate app some because I could speak English into it and then it would translate it and speak Austrian to somebody else. There were some times where I was like, this is a complicated phrase or something like that. I have no idea how to like mime it to you. (laughs) Yeah. And that was good. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I didn't mention it earlier, but one of the reasons that we went to Japan was because um, our Rotary Club in Maui has a sister club in Japan and they were celebrating a big event, had a big gala celebration and invited us to go. And so um, when we got to Nara, which is where the city where the event was, their club took us out to dinner and many of those Rotarians that we were having dinner with did not speak any English. And again, we didn't speak any Japanese. And so there was one gentleman at my table who wanted to communicate. And so he downloaded an app. I don't know what the app is, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling you that app failed me miserably. I did much (laughs) better with sign language and smiles. Um, And I think 
part of it was I talked too fast. Mm. So we were passing this phone back and forth across the dinner table trying to say things and then it would repeat it in Japanese. But it was funny what some of the translations were not right. And then I was (laughs) pressing the button at the wrong time, talking too fast. I was a hot mess with the translator. (laughs) But that's another tool that Mm -hmm. we have today that can help in a jam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So we have a lightning round here to wrap us up. Going to ask a few questions about the trip and just get a little more detail. So let's start with how long was the flight? Long. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was my lightning round answer. Um, So I flew from Orlando to Seattle, which was, I think, five hours, and then direct Seattle to Osaka, Japan on Delta, uh, which was 11 and a half hours. I cannot tell you how great Delta was on that long flight. Um, Highly recommend them. There are so many direct flights to Japan from the United States, particularly the West Coast, um, that it's it's a long flight, but it is easy, easily done, if that makes um, any sense. So um, make sure you bring lots of entertainment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, those long flights, I end up binge watching TV shows. Mm-hmm. So what was the conversion rate like when you were there? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I think it was about uh, one U.S. dollar was 92, no, one yen was 92 cents. So it was almost one to one. Um, So you could easily look at the number and cut off a couple zeros to get an idea of how many dollars it would be. And it would always end up being less than what you thought by a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So it always felt like we were getting a pretty good deal and it was pretty easy to do a mental conversion at least get you in the ballpark Mm -hmm. yeah that's good awesome did you feel safe in the areas you visited absolutely and this was another thing that really surprised me being in Tokyo a city of 9.2 million people I felt perfectly safe everywhere I went in that country I feel like I felt safer in Tokyo than I would have felt in any other major city in the United States. It's, again, it's very respectful. It's very orderly. Um, It just creates a a sense of safety. Um, And, you know, bad things happen everywhere. So I'm sure that there are multiple bad things that happen in those big cities. But nowhere did I feel unsafe at any point in time. I was never worried about where's my passport or where's my money being held and is someone watching me or this looks like a shady place. Not at all. Felt safe the entire time. That's good. So I think you said that you were going to, going to go back at some point. Is that right? Yes, totally. 100% going back because as <laughs> with any country, although I saw a lot, there's still so much to experience. Um, and it's funny to me to think that it wasn't even on my radar screen. And now it's like, how could I not go back? It's a magnificent country um, and can't wait to my next trip. Mm, I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sandy, for sharing so much about your trip to Japan. Uh, We're going to have another episode starting um, 
next month that we'll talk in a little bit more detail about the travels. So stay tuned for that. Um, and you can always look for more information on leadtravelpray.com as well. Everyone have a great day.